Welcome to Post Break. My name is Chris Peterson, Board Secretary of the Post New York Alliance. This is our weekly discussion of all the factors and forces shaping our industry at this exact moment in time. Today's topic is reimagining post-production during and after COVID. And it kind of ties back to the very first post break that we ever did, right when COVID hit and everyone was trying to figure out how are they gonna get work done. And now I would like to introduce our moderator, post-producer, PNYA member, Russ Hammonds. Thank you, Chris. Good afternoon, everyone. And uh, I'll echo Chris's thanks for, for joining us this week at this week's post break. And thank you to our panelists for donating your time. Um, just by way of a quick introduction of myself, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I've been working in posts about 13 years after a circuitous transition from a short career as a talent manager. And um, some of my recent projects include Happy for Sci-Fi, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend for Netflix, and perhaps most relevant for today's discussion, the uh, 30 Rock one-time special, which aired a few weeks ago on NBC platforms and was produced entirely under our current COVID conditions. So as Chris mentioned about 11 weeks ago, a couple of months into the statewide shutdown, Post New York Alliance convened a panel to can contemplate and discuss what post-production might look like as we begin to wrap our heads around, began to wrap our heads around this new reality. And now nearly three months later, much of New York has reopened, including our, post, our community post facilities, our community's post facilities. And um, while there still remains a lot of uncertainty around many aspects of our day-to-day -day lives under COVID conditions, I think there's a lot of comfort to be found in knowing that New York is officially open for production and that a lot of studios have plans in place to, to restart productions which have been halted. And it's important to highlight that the post community likewise is open for business and, and ready to handle whatever our production colleagues send our way. Um, the panel in May was built broadly with union facility and producer perspectives. This week, we're narrowing the scope of the discussion to focus on post facilities and how they've undergone the reopening process how they're handling working with clients and staff remotely, uh, managing safety and how processes have evolved and best practices have emerged um, since our last panel. We have representatives from four facilities with us today. Uh, sorry, that was my mother calling. Uh, joining for a return engagement, we have Kim Spikes, Senior Vice President of New York Post at Sim Digital. Kim has been at SIM for over 11 years, and along the way, she has overseen five facilities throughout Soho, Tribeca, and Brooklyn, providing dailies, offline picture, and sound finishing to hundreds of film and television shows. Kim will offer the perspective of a larger facility whose primary focus is on long-form features and television. It's also worth mentioning that Kim was a member of that first COVID-related panel back in May, so you know, she'll certainly have a, a unique insight from that. To, to share with us. Next, we have Rochelle Brown. Hi, Kim, welcome. Next, we have Rochelle Brown, a PA, a PNYA company board member with 20 years of television film production experience. Rochelle is executive producer at the Mill Group, where she currently manages the Telecine department, supporting both long and short form projects ranging from commercials and music videos to scripted and feature films. The Mill is a facility with a focus on design, branding, and VFX, so Rochelle will bring her experience to bear from those perspectives. Hello, Rochelle, and welcome. Thirdly, we're joined by Carly Bergman, producer at Soundtrack. Carly joined Soundtrack in 2003 after receiving her Bachelor of Science degree in sound recording technology. She originally worked on the stages as a, an ADR recordist before moving toward ADR scheduling and management of soundtracks, episodic and long form, long form work. Her time on the ADR stage gave her a unique skill set and a perspective of workflow. And that is a perspective she will no doubt bring to bear in our discussion today. Welcome, Carly. And anchoring our panel is Stina Hamlin, Director of Post-Production at East Coast Digital Stina is also a traditional producer and an award-winning VR creator. A longtime member of the Producers Guild, she continues to be an active member of the New York creative media community. In her 20 years, 
her 20 year career, she has worked in many positions from being in, in the field to production management before landing in post-production supervision. Being of Cherokee and Choctaw descent, her creative work focuses on projects that's, that amplify indigenous voices. In addition to running East Coast Digital, she's currently working on XR project Blood Memory, The Experience, Red House series, a multi-platform project, and she produces and edits the podcast, Not Invisible, Native Women on the Front Lines. On today's panel, Stina will offer insight from the viewpoint of a smaller facility. Welcome, Stina. So to start off, you know, with the entire state having reached a state of, uh, uh, stage four of reopening status, safety is of course on the, front, the forefront of everyone's minds um, across all industries in our state and, and certainly throughout the nation. Um, for example, I'm sure we've all read about and perhaps even taken part in some of the debates around schools reopening and the issues of safety that are driving those debates. Um, so no doubt safety is, is a primary concern for our industry as well. So panelists, with uh, the question I have for you to start off is what safety measures are facilities taking now? What policies do you have in place and what practices are, are you requiring of your staff and of any clients who may be visiting your facilities um, to make sure that everyone is remaining safe? And um, you know, that's a question ultimately for all our panelists, but uh, since you're the, the veteran panelist, Kim, why don't you uh, kick it off if you care to? Okay, well, I know the last time I was here, there was a billion different things that were kind of thrown at the wall. So what essentially has happened is we have a system when you come in, it's called Envoy. It's an iPad, it's super easy. You can check in, it includes the health screening questions, uh, contact information in case we do have to trace anyone. And um, there's a check-in in time and out time, a visitor badge with your photo that shows that you've gone through this process that needs to be worn at all times. Um, I laugh because our receptionist looks like they're in a plexiglass castle is what I now call it. So they're completely protected. Um, if you're in the common space, you obviously have to wear a mask the whole time. We have um, in each room, there's a designation number on the outside. So that's the occupancy level. So we can't have, if it says two, you can't have more than two people in that room, which does every once in a while create a tech needs to go in, someone comes out, the new person goes in. Um, we have a front desk administrator who basically is fully trained on the procedures and they're kind of the gatekeeper, if you will. They make sure that everybody is doing, you know, sanitizing their hands when they walk in the door, wearing their mask, um, checking in and out. Um, and then if for some reason the questions that they answer trigger and they do not enter, then, um, then they would let me know about that. Um, we have a COVID health and safety representative. I did not name all these, by the way. Uh, this came from our corporate office. But um, this person basically goes to the facility daily and makes sure that the quarantine area is quarantined, so that rooms that we have shut or no, nobody's going in, that people have their masks on, that they're not using the kitchen. So that person just kind of goes about and makes sure that everybody's compliant. If they see someone who is not compliant, then that is um, put into a journal and our HR department is notified. Um, we have UV cleaners, we have a quarantine area where drives and packages live for three days um, unless we need them quicker and then there's a cleaning procedure for them. Um, we have cleaning services twice a day that come in and clean everything. But luckily we're in a 30,000 square foot facility that is our own building so we can control um, no other tenants so we can control the stairwells, the elevator access, how many people are in the lobby. And um, you know we have basically around 10 to 15 people here max a day between um, one offline client and finishing people coming in. So it's such a small amount of people for a large footprint that we're really, you know, people are in rooms by themselves. We have one person on the floor essentially kind of by themselves. Um, so on that level, it's been pretty easy to manage. And because it was such a slow ramp up, um, we kind of got used to having a couple people in, then added a couple more, then added a couple more. And I think for a while, we're gonna be pretty tapped out at the, the amount of people we have in now. So those are kind of the basic things that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis to uh, make sure that we're compliant. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, the fact that you, you own your building and you're the only tenants in that building, you know, impacts how, how you uh, are able to, to manage safety. Uh, Stina, from the perspective of a, of a smaller facility, I, I presume, I don't know, but I presume you are, tenants within a building and don't have complete ownership and access over your building. How are, are there particular challenges around safety that that, you know, makes for you that perhaps uh, 
a larger facility doesn't have. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, no, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's just, it's like you need to hire a whole research department. I mean, our, our facility, we have two locations, but we focus more really like the bulk of our business is um, is edit suite rentals um, and, and picture finishing, but we don't have a DI. Um, so really we've been mostly remote. Um, I will say that our buildings have really done a great job because we have two different locations um, and our Soho building, um, they really went all out and they have a temperature, digital temperature taker when you come inside the building. Um, I don't even, I don't even know actually, I should find out, but like if you do have a temperature, I guess they just kick you out, you can't go in, right? So, um, and then um, our other Midtown location is doing a great job with just like, you know, limiting, um, there's hand sanitizers everywhere. Um, you know, the elevator, they don't allow so many people in the elevator. Um, sadly, like the, our, our other tenant, we only have another tenant on our floor there and they, their office completely closed. So we're really the only people on our floor. So that's good, I guess. Um, but mostly we haven't been um, keeping staff there. We haven't needed to yet. Uh, we are prepared when that happens. Um, mostly we've been spending a lot of time uh, you know, managing the clients that we do have and, and making sure that we're tracing when they're coming in and out and all of the things that exact, exact things that Kim mentioned as well. Um, but we've just been really working remote and doing a lot of like research on, you know, the best technology to really enhance our, you know, live review sessions, um, doing color grading, you know, live um, editorial and like shared storage and things like that. So we've been really focusing on a lot of research for just this new remote world. But the facility side is, it's sad when you go, I was there yesterday and it was really, it was very peaceful, but it's very, you know, Chernobyl-ish, like really <laughs> sad, like everyone just left, you know, haven't come back yet, so. Right. Um, I do want to kick that same question to Rochelle and Carly, but before I do, I just had a, a quick, a quick follow-up to Kim about, you mentioned that you had uh, this COVID safety representative, just out of curiosity, is that, was that a position that was created or was it someone who was already uh, a member of, of your, your, your organization that was designated to kind of take on these extra responsibilities? Um, right now, it's someone um, that's designated within the facility who already works here, but um, they, depending on how things go, um, you know, our, half of our companies in the U.S. and in L.A., obviously, COVID's off the chart again, and New York, you know, seems to be good, our Atlanta operations, still iffy, and in Canada, they're doing really well, but they are incredibly strict, so they created all these roles. And if things um, go south, then they, they have talked about bringing an additional person in, and that is just their job. But right now, so far, they have consultants, doctors, legal. They just have a team of people that they basically, any move they're going to make, they put it in front of them. And this group of people sign off on all of it, and then it comes back to HR. And then they're like, these are the roles that we want you to have. Great. Uh, Rochelle, is a similar policies in place at, uh, at your organization? around safety? Well, at the mill, um, we have not officially opened yet. With ah. the process of uh, working out, uh, you know, the, the protocols for safety. Um, but I was at the office yesterday. Um, we've like secured surfaces uh, with self-cleaning adhesives, like the, you know, the elevator buttons and commonly touched areas. Um, we, they've stipulated, you know, how many clients can be in the room right now. Um, but we've had one supervised session um, because, again, we also touch long form and we need our theater. So we did have one session there a couple of weeks ago. But other than that, no commercial work has been done at the studio yet. Everyone's still functioning remotely. Um, for in terms of safety measures, when clients do come in, we do ask questions uh, in terms of where they've been. But, but we don't have temperature checks or anything to that nature as of yet. We're still streamlining that out. Thank you. How about you, Carly? How are things um, over at Soundtrack? Things are good, actually. You know, when everyone comes in, they're getting their temperature checked, whether they're staff or clients or talent. Um, we have uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. <laughs> um, a station right when you walk in off the elevator, another one at our front desk, and then all of the rooms have hand sanitizers in them. Um, and we have PPE kits available for anyone that comes in and doesn't have a mask or gloves or wants one. Um, but I'm telling people when they schedule talent to come in, please make sure that they're masked. 
when they come into the space. And then when they go on to, to the looping stage, they can take their masks off. Um, one of the big things that we did here is we installed UV lights in our AC ducts and in our AC units um, to sort of purify all of the air and clean the air. And then we also built um, a UVC room sanitizer unit. We have two of them that we can roll into our stages and clean the stages in between sessions, in between um, talent for recording uh, ADR or voiceover. So every, everyone that comes into this space is in the same level of cleanliness. So you, you, you mentioned the, you know, the, the scenarios where you have talent coming in for obviously recording uh, ADR, which is mm -hmm. uh, something that would be unique to a sound facility. It, have you noticed any, um, any difference in, in the frequency? I mean, are, you know, are, are you noticing that talent you're finding from representatives that talent are, are, are less, are, are reluctant, more reluctant, less reluctant, less likely to, to actually come in or, or, or try and find some alternative way to get their ADR recorded? Have you uh, noticed um, any difference? So it's sort of a mixed bag. Some talent are totally cool with coming in um, and are totally comfortable with it. And other talent are a little reluctant. And we actually built mobile ADR kits that we are hand delivering to talent if they don't want to come in and we're recording them from their homes. We connect them to the studio here. We run the session like we would a regular ADR session, except everyone is remote. Which, which brings me kind of to the, the follow-up, uh, you know, to, to the kind of offshoot of this question is how, how are safety measures impacting, you know, the experience of, of, of what we do, of creating our shows, you know, of, of, the, of the processes that we have to do in order to, to get our shows finished and deliver, whether it be ADR, having sessions, Sina mentioned putting remote, uh, 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 researching remote technologies. Are, are you all finding that you have to kind of build your own uh, processes, for example, for things like collaborative uh, software, or are you using third party, uh, recommending third party platforms to your, your organizations, or rather to your clients? Or some of you actually still having clients come in. I know I had a I had a a conversation with a studio exec recently, who who made it very clear to me that their policy was that for all of their shows, kind of in this current era, no no one was basically to be in a room with another person. All post production was to happen remotely. Um, and I mentioned to that studio executive that some of the facilities seemed to have, you know, various levels. You know, some were had all remote, some had kind of a hybrid uh, uh, system and. And basically what he said was no, <laughs> you know, for, our, for, for their purposes, everything had to be remote. No one was supposed to be in a room with another person. Um, so figure out what they can do with regard to that. Um, oops, sorry. So I guess the question is what, uh, you know, for situations like that, what, what processes are in, and, and, and uh, platforms are you, are you putting in place? I can go. Yeah. Um, so for, for us, yeah, there's been, you know, it's definitely a change and we've adapted very quickly um, and in regards to the workflow and we're kind of, it depends on the project, depends on where people are, you know, we are kind of, we have people coming in, we have people who are like, absolutely not, will not be back until next year. So um, I would say some of the workflows are actually pretty cool. For example, we had one this week where we had a scoring session for a film. So Abbey Road in London had the orchestra. Um, the director was here in New York with his team in our theater. And then the composer was in LA. It was all synced um, through Source Connect. And the director would watch it down. He's watching and then he'd just give a note to the composer in LA. He would then give it to the orchestra at Abbey Road. And then they would do whatever he said and then start back up again. And um, it was actually pretty cool and and worked really well and then we had another one where he came back and he wanted to do some adr sessions we had people we had talent that was here in new york we also had talent in la so for that it was just we need one person in each room was the mandate so the director's in one of our audio suites um the um i think we had a mixer that was in another suite we had someone in the adr booth we had a third person oh the um, sound supervisor was in another room so it was basically all the audio suites had one person in it and then they were reviewing everything for the adr so um we've definitely adapted we have a workflow specialist stacy who kind of goes through and figures everything out with our team and then it's just the comfort level honestly of the client if it's like i don't want to come in to do picture okay here's your ipad if it's i don't want to come in to do sound 
then we're just kind of working with the best software, third party, um, and the best tools that we have to make it work. And it's been actually kind of, it's been kind of fun to go in and try and figure all this stuff out. Um, and, and the fact that it's working, and I think it's working for a lot of facilities is a testament to our teams and how quickly we can adapt. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting um, in terms of telecining as well. I mean, at first there was a big disruption, everyone's, you know, scurrying around to figure out what's the best workflow. But for the mill, um, our engineer has been able to develop uh, software that works in alignment with our base light systems. Um, and so we do like a live uh, still kind of, still live still session, basically. Um, it's not dependent on the internet, so it can work with anyone's internet. You know, in Brooklyn, you have Optimum and Verizon, and one downloads faster than the other. It takes all of that out. And so it allows us to actually set looks with these stills, and, and, and just like you're in a color session, and, it, and as, as the colorist is actually um, applying his, uh, his speaks or changes, you can see it in real time within a second, like a, like a real session. So we use that to set looks and actually come back with a, a quick time to actually watch down once the, once the look is set. It's, it's, it streamlines much better, actually, and it, it kind of, our, our colors are able to control the sessions a lot, a lot better, actually, because they get the unsupervised time after they set the looks, um, it, 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 they're happy at the end of the day, and they're able to get through their work pretty seamlessly, and clients love it because they're not stuck on the computer all day anyway, because you're always, you're always doing a Zoom call, you're doing this, you're doing that, they can step away for an hour from a color session and then come back, or two hours, depending on what you know, the, the, intensity, the intensity of the project. Yeah, and I think um, for us too, we've been, uh, we, you know, we are kind of like the quote unquote kind of smaller, you know, mom and pop kind of um, shop. And uh, our owner, Scott Kleinberger, is really like technical. So he's been doing, we've kind of been going through some different systems, um, some third party stuff. Um, and, um, then we were also white labeling some stuff ourselves. So that's been actually really fun. I mean, I love technology. Obviously, I work in post. Um, so we've been, um, and yeah, different clients are just different. We, you know, from commercial clients to independent films to, you know, um, to television, reality TV to script, you know, it's all just so different. So we've really been trying to you know, we're still researching, so we don't have any, like, we have set processes in place, but we're still, like, seeking out, like, you know, more, you know, more options just to make sure that, that everyone's happy, but it has been really fun. I mean, we've done everything from, like, calibrate all of these, you know, monitors and send it, you know, hand latex glove to delivery service, you know, driving it to, to um, you know, New Jersey and, and getting it set up in someone's house type of thing, um, but we drop it and then you know, call them over the phone. So that's kind of, those are the things that we've been working on. Yeah, we've um, just got, actually today, I think they just came in, we got stream boxes for our mix stages. So that's how we're going to be able to accommodate um, remote mixing um, going forward and maybe even be able to use that for ADR. We're not really sure yet, but what we have for ADR right now seems to be working really well. So. Great. You know, when, um, when, when things first, shut down i uh you know perhaps uncharacteristically pessimistically for, for, for me didn't really anticipate um doing anything throughout the entirety of the summer um and i got uh, fortunately enough a call uh, as i mentioned earlier to to do uh, this 30 rock special which you know it was interestingly enough a, a stay-at-home you know one of these stay-at-home projects which i imagined okay when i got the call i was surprised like what could we possibly be doing in, in this this current era and then I realized it was a stay-at-home project like we've seen a lot of and I'm like okay that makes more sense um, so my question is I'm, I'm curious what what are, uh, to our, our panelists what are you guys seeing in terms of you know the work that that is kind of coming into your, your organizations you know has it has it been busy has it started to pick up in, in recent weeks as things are opening more and if so what kinds of projects are you seeing more uh, for the work coming in well, I'll start. Um, in terms of uh, commercials, I'm going to say, uh, at first we were completing all the commercials that shot that were shot. Then we went to UGC footage, obviously, and then everybody got tired of that. And then uh, these isolated shoots with some pro cameras. But today, it's definitely picking up. I um, I'm starting to get calls again from agencies that uh, for projects that were put on hold post pre-COVID. So that's pretty exciting. 
um, a lot of shoots. Um, our production team is busy, busy, the busiest we've been since COVID, actually. We've had our, one of our best months last month and this month as well since for the year, actually. Um, the type of projects I'm seeing are uh, some live action, but definitely a, def a pickup in um, AR and uh, CG and design. Uh, they, my, my teams are busy for the next two months now automatically. And we're, great, we're super thankful for that because again, with, with the, you know, the economic impact um, on the company, we're happy to be able to maintain. Yeah, for sure. I would say for Sim, um, we, you know, we, we kind of finished up a bunch of projects that had already shot. And so those went through finishing and Monsterland for Hulu is one of the last ones. And um, we still have a, quite a few unscripted shows. We have live shows, we're doing the VMA soon. Um, commercial work has been good and then still some documentaries. Obviously a lot of our work is, comes from the scripted side as well. So at this point, we're just waiting for people to shoot. Um, we're seeing late September and then um, October as kind of tentative dates for people to get started. So that'll, you know, fingers crossed it sooner than later. And I think that'll help out a lot. Um, you know, it kind of depends on which sim, like ours has been, it's definitely slowed down this summer quite a bit, but um, our LA facility, um, kind of like Rochelle was saying, is just packed with live shows. So they um, have, they've actually beat their goals this year. And I'm like, what? So in the middle of a pandemic. So I think it just kind of depends on the work that you're known for and what you've been doing, but um, we're definitely need production to start again uh, soon. Uh, Soundtrack has actually seen a lot of uh, animation video records popping up more recently. Um, one of our clients has like, I think I have time holding for four different series that they're working on animated wise. So that's awesome. Um, we definitely had some ADR that for shows that were shot pre COVID and that had gone into finishing as um, everything moved remote. So then they started needing ADR. So they started calling for that. Um, mixing is sort of on hold for the moment. Um, in terms of scripted, we have a, a docu-series that we're mixing right now, but that was all shot pre-COVID. So um, we're basically in the same boat as Sim, waiting for production to pick up again. Yeah, and um, for us too, I mean, same, same situation. We definitely had, um, we had, we're in the middle of finishing a series that we had to stop down on and now, they just called like this week that they're trying to plan to, to pick up again in that like kind of October, um, you know, which we'll see what happens. It's just so crazy. But uh, so that we've been dealing with that. And then uh, we also have um, like MTV is a client of ours and they, do, and they do all the repackaging shows. So like that's been great because we just have remote edits and they're all on our shared storage and they're just like recutting, you know, you know, the best of blah, blah, blah. Um, so those sort of shows are happening. And then, um, uh, and then we also did like a, uh, another series where like chefs were at home cooking, filming themselves with cell phones and things like that. So that's, those, those have been going strong through this, this whole time. Um, but we are seeing some folks come back, which is great. So fingers crossed. That's great. Yeah. That, that kind of, uh, for, you know, scripted productions that late September, early October timeframe is, is also what, what I've heard from, from, from the people that I've spoken to. Um, I mentioned earlier about the, the conversation I had with that studio exec and I can only, I can only imagine that, you know, whether that position, that kind of hardline position that, that that studio took is probably similar to other studios and what various level of severity um, different studios will have various level of tolerance, risk tolerance, different studios will have for, for how they're going to approach this time. Uh, for our panelists, what, what are you, are, are there any particular mandates um, that you're hearing uh, from studios? Any particular requests, uh, whether they be around safety or workflow or, or, or processes that you're, that you're hearing from studios? And um, same question for, for the unions as you, as you interface with the unions in terms of moving forward. Um, so the main thing that I've gotten was from SAG. It's not really the, the studio, but, um, but SAG is requiring us to leave 30 minutes in between talent so we can go and sterilize and sanitize all the stages before talent comes in and goes out. Um, and then also they said, if you can have your production people email the scripts and the exhibit G's or contracts to the talent directly so you don't have to print anything, that would be preferred. 
I don't know if that's happening because I'm still getting stuff to print as backups, but um, you know, you just kind of take it as it comes. Um, and then I did have one studio film that said that they weren't allowing any talent into the studio. So any, everything, all the ADR had to be recorded remotely. But each studio seems to have, and each production company seems to have their own um, safety thing that they're trying to figure out. Cause every, cause now we have to be vetted by every different production company that we're working with. You know, what's your safety plan? What's your floor plan? That kind of stuff. And are you all, are you all experiencing that? Is there, is there a, a high level of kind of scrutiny from studios? Are they asking a lot of questions about how you're approaching safety and, you know, having to submit uh, to this kind of vetting? Yeah, I can go on that. Um, we've definitely had pretty much everyone we're working with has asked to see our COVID procedures and manual. And so we have one on our website and people can go as it's updated and change. And so they, are, they definitely are reviewing those before that they give the green light for people to work. And um, it's still, most people are remote. Honestly, the majority of the work that we're on is completely remote at this point. But, um, and if people are coming in, the first thing is just like, I need to go through your procedures. They vet everything. Um, ours is pretty robust. So I haven't had anybody call back and be like, oh, you don't have this or this is missing. Um, I think the main thing is like, if people are not doing it, we need to know immediately that people are not adhering to these rules um, so that they can get involved. But it's been kind of nice because from the production companies, from the studio, we've had a lot of, you know, help. And if there's any questions about anything, I think everybody's pretty open about it. But I also think at this point, we've all seen each other's <laughs> procedures documents. So I think everybody's like, oh, that's a great idea, Mill. I'm putting that in mind. And that's a great idea. So we've seen so many of these when we were at home for three months that I just feel like they're like 500 pages everywhere now. Just anything we could think of went in. And then they were obviously vetted by our legal and whatever departments to make sure everything was good. And it is a little trickier when you're between two countries. So um, we basically picked the strictest policy of the two and then went with that one. It does seem like, you know, that's an interesting point that you raised, uh, just about everyone having seen each other's uh, guidelines. It does seem that there would be some benefit to having a, a kind of standardized industry-wide uh, set of guidelines that, that, that we could all follow um, and, and count on. Um, you know, especially if, it, which kind of leads me to, to the next question, if, if we anticipate doing things like this for, you know, for, for, very, for very much longer, I'm curious to to hear what our panel thinks of about the the likelihood that you know one to three years from now do, do we do we envision the, the the remote processes the remote you know workflows working remotely taking over as a, as a portion of the business you know is it something that we think people are going to want to do moving forward even without the necessity of it for safety um, and and to what extent do we do we anticipate that? I'll go. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a very interesting question. That you know, it's it, honestly, I think we're all figuring it all all out. I do think that um, I think that's why, like, we're really focusing on, you know, finessing the technology to make it, you know, to to kind of you know make it work the best that it possibly can. I think that human interaction is super important, and 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 people miss being in the same room together too. So, I honestly don't know. I know that we do, we've always done mobile edit rentals. So, um, so that's always been a good portion of our, of our business, but it has gone, gotten less, um, you know, less attractive, uh, you know, since the facilities and then people can just go buy their own, you know, IMAX or whatever. Um, so now though, with, you know, trying to just find like the streamline, like the shared storage and obviously the security that, you know, that studios look for and things like that. That's, that's where we're trying to focus. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm really curious myself. I actually, I actually um, love that question. Uh, I would like to hear what everyone else has to say. I think it kind of comes down to a creative perspective and how the creatives feel about it. Um, because if, if it slows the process down and for the creatives to be remote, then maybe that's not the best thing. And maybe it's better that they're all in the same space. But if there's a way that it can work, I don't know necessarily why you, it wouldn't uh, continue if it, was, if it made people's lives a little easier. But in that same way, it might make people's lives a little harder and it would be easier to be in the same space if 
if that's possible? I think that the, uh, it would definitely be interwoven into our process. Um, it's funny, we just completed a, a company survey, right? We got the results today, right before this call. And about half of our staff would like to stay home, you know? And um, so we are thinking about the creative process because there's something you get with the energy of touching or interacting with people for our creatives to, to actually perform at their highest levels that we have to take, consider. But the work from home process or the, or the remote sessions will definitely be interwoven. So not everyone's going to be required to come to the studio. Maybe about 25% of the staff might end up working from home from now on. Um, I do know that most of my colorists do not want to return to the studio. They love working from home. They love it, you know, the convenience of it. And so I think we're going to be have, have to take it case by case, depending on the project, as always. Um, yeah, depending on if, you know, the client, what are their needs, who needs to be in the room with them, what, what are they asking for, and how, how, how bad does that, that artist want to work with that, that, on that job, basically. All of those things are going to be factors. Yeah, I think as with a lot of things, the, 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 the truest answer is it depends. <laughs> um, uh, Kim, did you have any insight on that? Or did you, I saw you unmute yourself. Did you want to um, add to yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're going to definitely continue to see it going forward because we've proven that it works. Um, but I, I would assume that a lot of people want to collaborate in proximity, and that's what the people, at least who are here, um, have said. And um, I think a lot of people like myself, I want a separation between work and home. Um, I know, you know, we have artists who are just like, I do not want my... Um, resolve panels and everything in my living room anymore. Um, so that became a big sticking point with people. Um, I think systems obviously take up a lot of space. And then we have finishing suites that are custom built to give the optimum experience for color and sound. So I think a lot of people are gonna not wanna try and replicate that at home and wanna come in for some of these items like Atmos and um, when they need a projector. So I feel like in the finishing side, you're always gonna have a facility. I think when it comes to offline, that makes it a little easier for people because some people, you know, they don't, they don't live in New York. They don't want to live in New York. So if they can stay in their home, it has the extra bedroom and put a system up there. Um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think everybody's going to want to stay home. I just feel like it's going to be this weird hybrid <clears throat> based on the projects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is handy because if an editor is on another coast, not a problem. We'll send you an Avid. If, um, you know, somebody can't make a color session, because they're in another country like we have now, you know, it's like, that's fine. We'll send an iPad and get you set up. So I think it's just, it's going to be, it'll be used going forward. But um, I don't, I really don't see a world where everybody's just gone forever and they don't walk back in the door. Because I think people really like that. I want to be in the room with you. I want to see you. I want to see your body language. How did you react to that shot and that scene? And I don't think that's going to go away. Certainly helps for collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to pivot. Um, we have uh, a few minutes left before I think opening it up uh, to, to questions from the group. Uh, pivot to you know, the, 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 the wonderful, the wonderful uh, uh, topic of money um, and, and how we imagine. I read an article literally about maybe 20 minutes before uh, uh, signing on to this um, that was about how uh, you know, all of this is affecting uh, production budgets. And I think that the number that I read in the article was that production budgets are going up 10%. I heard uh, another number that they were going up around 20%. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear from, from the facility standpoint, you know, will, will, will post budgets go up to uh, facilities for remote? You know, how do we, how do you guys anticipate, you know, the bottom line being impacted? And I think it's probably a little bit of a complicated question because, you know, some things are going to be more expensive. Some things are going to be less expensive and, you know, figuring out exactly where those lines are drawn and how, you know, how, how those things mix together, it can, can be tricky, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what you all think. Nobody wants to go first to talk about money. Huh? I, hope, I hope the budgets go up. I mean, this has been pretty costly for facilities. We have these huge spaces now that are pretty much empty. Um, you know, we have a ton of additional equipment that had to be purchased, software that had to be purchased to get people um, into a remote uh, situation. Um, and it's gonna, it's tough on the facilities. And especially when you're going down and having, you know, 50% of the work you used to do, 30% of the work that you used to pull in in a month until um, the series work and scripted starts back up. So 
um, you know, it's a lot of overhead for us to carry. And, um, but I don't know, and in post, it usually doesn't translate into um, higher rates or more time. It's just kind of like, nope, this is what you have. This is the budget we have is usually the answer. And if you want the job, you'll do it in the budget. And this is the time that it's going to take. And that has been my experience. I, <laughs> I can't see it changing, um, but um, we'll see. Because it definitely is costly. I would assume for all you guys too, it's been a I mean, my CapEx is gone for the year and it just went to move everybody remote. I didn't hit any project that we had planned to do for 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine that the costs would go down for a, a post budget. I could only see them staying the same or maybe even having to go up a little bit to accommodate the remote, the remote set systems and the remote, remote setups and all that stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't have a number. I don't have a percentage of how much that would that would be yet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely an impact in, in buying, purchasing all the equipment to make sure that we can stay remote. And so we're we're steadily trying to recoup the monies from that. Um, and we've had a fifty percent reduction of business since COVID. So budgets have stayed the same, or we'd have to back into a number depending on what the job is um, at the end of the day. So I pretty much agree with both Carly and Kim at the same time. Yeah, I um I was wondering at this too because I'm on the in the producers guild too. So I'm in all these meetings. Everyone's really obviously concerned about shooting and and the budgets and like you know you have to put in a line item for you know 10, 15, 20 percent to account for everything. Um, but I also feel like I mean in the editors union also are requiring like shorter work days um, and also like depending on maybe the ventilation and the breaks that they have you know that they're requiring. Um, you have to get up and move around, wash your hands, do things like that. Um, that's going to maybe push, you know, so you're, you'll need an, an additional edit week maybe that you didn't need before just because your days are shortened or um, stuff like that. I think that, yeah, it's it's tough to have like real estate in New York and and um, and always kind of, you know, paying for that anyways, you know, is, is um, difficult. But I think, I mean, I would hope that that would be a conversation, but it's probably, I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> or all the production money is gonna go, you know, there, and then we're gonna still be backing into numbers, but, but we'll do it, that's what we do. <laughs> that's why we're great producers. I just wanted to add from a commercial perspective, um, it was super important that we package our jobs right now during COVID because everyone's trying to stay in one facility and that's been super helpful in maintaining um, money. Uh, again, because of the CG, animation has gone up, design has gone up, and, and, and that has allowed the streamline of everything down the board from production to, you know, color, to edit, to, to finish, to delivery. So that's helped um, to actually make up for the monies um, and maintain our budgets, per se. But it's, it's more about packaging right now, the whole project, as opposed to just color only or VFX only, you know. Um, I know, like I said, color only has gone down like 50%. <laughs> Again, yeah. Thank you for that addition. That's an important, I think, uh, perspective as well. Um, so uh, my clock is telling me it's, it's 5.45, which I believe is the time that we are to open up to questions from the group. So Chris, what have you got? Yes, thank you, Russ. Um, some good questions from the group here. Um, the productions that are going on now that do happen to be going forward, do they have their post crews already assembled? Or what advice do you have for professionals looking to get involved with these productions and, and get hired on them? Has the hiring process changed along with all of these other aspects? Um, well, I will, you know, but just from the post-producer perspective, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that one first and then maybe kick it also to, if, if no one minds, and then maybe kick it off to uh, uh, one of the panelists. I mean, I, I, there's a show that I was on that was shut down and now will be restarting. Um, and that show is, is, you know, my hope in once we get restarted is to, is to maintain the same staff and crew that I had when we were shut down. Um, you know, there was, there has been some talk about, you know, the question raised, and I think actually this question was raised perhaps in the, in, in the last, uh, the last panel about whether, you know, 
working remotely would require the same number, you know, the same size staff or larger staff or, 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 or uh, smaller staff. And, you know, I think the, the most, uh, the, 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 the most advocated for perspective from that last uh, talk was, was that, it, it, and, and from my experience, just in this last, you know, COVID show that I did is that there's, seems very little evidence to me that it will require less staff and only, and only more help. Um, so I think, you know, my hope is that that bodes well for anyone who's trying to, 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 to find their way in. Um, I think that getting shows finished and produced in this context is more difficult. It takes more time and it, it's helpful to have more hands if indeed, you know, we can convince the studios that, uh, of that and, and they can give us the funds to, to, to do that due to that hiring. Um, uh, does anyone on the panel have any uh, particular perspectives around that? Um, I mean, I would just say, I mean, about like, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I'm kind of struggling, straddling both worlds to production and post, but um, I don't think that the hiring is gonna be any different. I mean, obviously um, there's a lot more going on in the world besides just the pandemic, you know, just the pandemic. Um, so I think that I think the best thing that's going to be changing is, you know, more diversity and inclusion and that whole, that's going to be considered more. Um, so I'm excited about that. But as far as the, you know, the remote workflows and things like that, no, but I think that, um, you know, editors probably going to have to be a little bit more savvy. I mean, we have tech support and things like that, but there's, you know, we don't have a tech that can roll over to your house and like, you know, turn your um, speaker power on, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that people may have to, you know, do get, a little bit more technical, I guess, would be the only thing. So if, if folks are looking for those jobs, like, you know, just brushing up on any sort of like troubleshooting and things like that, not to, not to say that we don't support, you know, but, um, but I think that that would be a bonus to, um, to kind of like bring that skill set to the table. Thank you. Do we have another question, Chris? Yes, yeah, so um, here's a question. I'm hearing that SAG, and we touched on this a little bit, but maybe we could dive in a little more. I'm hearing that SAG is now having to clear and, and vet sound facilities before members, SAG members are allowed to record there. Has Carly at Soundtrack had any experience with that with SAG, or could you delve into some more of those, some more of those details? Sure. Yeah, we, I actually had gotten a call from one of my uh, coordinators in LA asking if anyone from SAG had contacted me about um, having the facility approved for records. And I said no, and I didn't even, and I didn't know who to contact at SAG to do that. Um, but eventually one of the other post producers that I know um, put me in touch with someone at SAG in LA and I sent her all of our COVID procedures and everything like that so that she could see what we were doing. Um, and then through conversations with her, figured out what we needed to do in order to get greenlit, and we did. So we are officially SAG approved for actors to come in and, and have sessions. Great. Great. Great, and um, our next one from our audience. Um, to add some context, we're, we're seeing that in post previous post breaks, we've seen that the role of the post PA has been kind of reduced a little bit because without so many people on site, there are fewer tasks needed for post PAs to do. So given in light of that, what are the most valuable skills a post PA can now offer during these times of remote work? Oh, that's tough. Um, I think, I think that the, the most valuable thing maybe isn't what the PA can offer, but I think it's what we can offer the PA now. And it's kind of, and I've been talking to a couple of organizations, um, including Ryan Penny, um, about you know, how do we transition? And now that we're just in a world that's virtual, is, the, is it valuable for someone just to sit and listen to what we're talking about? And they get a, a kind of a different perspective because I think they see a higher level of interaction than it, when they're getting coffee <laughs> or um, you know doing an errand so we're trying to kind of wrap our heads around like what meetings can they sit in listen to and I just think it's 
we can give them a little more value than I think that they would, the experience than they typically get. And really, because what they want to do is get exposed to the conversations and see what we're doing, which this is great for that. And then they also just want to meet everybody. So it kind of, you know, they're not so much going to be meeting the client side, but at least they're meeting and seeing what the audio team talks about, what the producing team talks about, what, you know, the colorists are talking about. Um, so I think that's kind of helpful. I, I would add to that again, I don't know this, if this is a, uh, a clear and direct answer to, to the to exact question, but just to kind of piggyback on something that, that Kim said, I do think there's an opportunity for uh, a person who, who's, you know, a, a PA or, or a coordinator, someone who's on a staff already on a show uh, for, for learning opportunities that they might not have, you know, everything being done, you know, for example, you know, every meeting that's done now remotely is going to be a Zoom call right or a, or a google meet or, or something of that effect so there's a I, to my view and i mean this is how i would run my department there there seems to be to me a, a lot more opportunity for someone to get access that they otherwise might not have gotten if they don't have to physically you know be a presence in a room that might make someone nervous or might take you know it that, that they can now just you know log on to a zoom call you know be muted be uh with their video off and you know i believe there's even a function in zoom where if you you can if you're the host you can make it so that the people whose videos are off that you don't even know that they're there um so there I, I think i think there's opportunity in that to, to to get access that 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 someone might not otherwise have uh if they're a, a young pa or a coordinator who you know wants to be able to learn things um i'm not sure it's not it's not yet clear to me um Maybe, maybe in COVID post break three, I'll, I'll have a, a better sense of this. It's not yet clear to me whether the skill sets of of a supervision staff position, you know, a PA position or coordinator position, will necessarily change because of this era. Um, I think things are going to be more difficult. So I think, you know, the skill sets that one would already need perhaps will need to be, you know sharp, super sharp, as always. I mean, organization, I think, is going to be uh, a little bit more challenging. Communication is certainly a little more challenging when you, when you can't be with people. Um, so I think, I think a lot of skills are, are the same. It's just about how we're bringing them to bear a little differently. Um, it is about what we can, um, what we can offer um, these, the PA um, when it comes to that. Uh, for us, we've just started having this conversation because we are looking to possibly bring on interns at, to the mail, but we're trying to figure out to what capacity. Because of course, we don't have client services. We are not in the facility. So it's about the skill set. Um, and specifically, um, our design team is, is, are, are most likely will be welcoming um, new, new interns because as long as you understand your programs, you know, we can help you fine tune your skills as an intern. I want, we want to see how, what your creativity is like, and, and ultimately. Um, we had a student um, come out of um, a, a high-end school last year as, a, as an intern, but now he's like a junior designer because he's been around and, and exposed to the creativity of our other artists. So there's definitely opportunity and our head of design is extremely um, excited about bringing in new talent. Um, and we're trying to figure out how the art directors and creative directors can work with that as well in terms of the Mayas and the CG artists and different things of that nature. But we're definitely looking to bring on interns, but you have to be specific and you have to know your, you know, you have to know your, the craft as much as you can from school. Mm -hmm. I've got kind of a tag on to that question. Um, might it be that entry level positions change to more apprentice and edit room assistant roles being made available by studios? So will, will this role evolve with COVID? Again, like I just said, um, the apprenticeship is the design, you know, but the edit room, that's a little bit more challenging because it's like a, it's a certain workflow, a certain protocol, a standard that you have to be involved with. I mean, have to know, and that, that becomes a little bit more challenging. Editing, color assist, you really have to be in the room with, with, with the colorists and the assistants to kind of grasp that mentality and understand the workflow. Um, but if you're program specific, like, like, like I said, in design and different things of that nature, you can offer opportunities in that direction because it's about your creativity personally and how we implemented that into our work. 
Great. Thank you. Here is um, a question for Kim, specifically in the panel <clears throat> in May, you said that post facilities were becoming more like post facilitators. Has that view evolved over the past few months? And do you still feel that way? Or do you see a return to post the way we used to do it? Um, I definitely still see it that way uh, for now. I think workflow is the biggest part and um, the post, post facilities are trying to figure out how all this works behind the scenes. And uh, so it's, you know, everybody's using different platforms. We're all using, I mean, we're all using kind of the same stuff unless it's proprietary, but essentially, you know, what works for one person doesn't work for another. So we're designing the best thing for each project and each client based on their needs and where people are in the world. Um, so I don't see that going away this year at all. And I think it'll continue into the future as it's like, oh, this person's not gonna, you know, not move to New York for six months. They're gonna stay here. So how are we gonna bring them into the fold? So I think it'll, we'll continue to facilitate post-production for, for quite some time. But at least we've all gotten over kind of the major hurdles of it um, in the past few months and have figured out things that work. And now it's just kind of fine tuning exactly what everybody needs. And as we've all talked about, obviously, internet speeds are our biggest enemy. <laughs> Except for Rochelle. <laughs> Thank you to engineering. That's all I have to say. Thank you. And Russ, this can go to just about anyone. Um, costs are being talked about now, but how do studios physically handle the technical equipment requirements that work from home demand, such as getting expensive software, workstation, editing systems to people's homes. This also seems like the facilities onus to handle, but um, also the transfer of uh, sensitive and confidential media, the security around those things. Um, is this the studio's problem? Is it the facility's problem? Or is that a, a murky ground? Where does one pick up and the other leave off? Uh, that's uh, a, I'll chime yeah. in. Oh, sorry. Go right ahead. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the facilities, like we love, we love to rent you an edit station, like just give us a call and we will rent you an edit system in your house. Like that would be amazing. Um, but we, um, you know, so I think that that is just part of, you know, the kind of the, the normal kind of process, but we can always rent, you know, rent those stations out. And then, like I said, like, you know, that the, the no touch, you know, latex glove delivery service is in full effect or we ship things and we tech over the phone, which is, you know, something that we've been doing for a very long time. Um, we can always remote into systems if there's issues to troubleshoot and things like that. So I think that that is really kind of standard operating procedure, you know, if you're working from home, but like Kim said, the internet situation is an issue. Um, like we have everyone VPNing into our like shared server. So that kind of helps to like, so, so people are really using the internet at our office. Um, that's been helping us a lot and our clients, but, um, but yeah, so that's kind of, and then for safety reasons too, we, it's, that's a secure, you know, you're, you're hitting our shared storage. You're not really, you're just going straight, you know, point to point um, from your home, you know, working really, it's kind of like you're working at our facility, but you're just, looking at a screen, you know, on your computer at home. So, um, so there's definitely a secure ways. And, and I think we've been doing this for a long time. So I don't think that that's um, a new thing, but we can definitely handle it. And, and those things, the, 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 the processes that Cena just mentioned seem to be pretty standard across the board, I would imagine the other facilities, you know, if you like Kim, if you would concur or, or not, I mean, the, the, you know, having a shared storage on site that, uh, uh, you know, an editor, let's say, who is working from home could remotely link up with um, whether, you know, and, and, and be shipped, I guess, a, 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 a rig that might come from the facility or, or using their own, I suppose. Yeah, and regardless of whether they're using their own or ours, it all taps back into um, the shared storage here. So everything's secure. It's still in the machine room. It's still, you know, fortified with a billion cards and walls. So um, that's pretty much how we've handled the projects that we've been working on. 
And I think just universally security is everyone's problem. We're all worried about security all the time. The facilities have spent a ton of time in engineering and physically just making sure we're as secure as we possibly can be. So we definitely don't want to have lapses now and have any issues. So I think it, the facility is the last fortress, but um, it, the whole chain is about security. Great. Is, is there time for another uh, question from the group? Yeah, or? one or two quick ones here. Um, many remote desktop workflows seem to be Windows-based instead of Mac-based. Do you see a transition to Windows workstations as a necessary part of the ongoing transition to work from home? Uh, yeah, I can say that we definitely are are using Windows um, with quite a bit of the remote stations. Um, I think, you know, when I first started Post Factory 13 years ago, everything was a PC. And then like literally a week later, it was just like everything is a Mac. And now it's kind of, we're starting to do a few hybrids, but um, we haven't really had that much pushback if we are gonna have a, um, a desktop that's gonna be PC. So, um, you know, it kind of depends on the preference of an artist or who's working, the editor, and we try and keep everything as accessible to them as possible, but there are times where we do have to use um, PCs, and it's actually worked the best um, in a lot of situations, and it's kind of this whole thing, you got to adapt and uh, make it work right now, that's the world we're in, so, and then once people adapt, they get used to it, once they get used to it, it doesn't seem to be that big a deal, so there's that initial, like, what, and then, like, a couple weeks in, it's like, this is fine. So that's been my experience so far. That was actually going to be my kind of follow-up. Do you, do you, so you are finding that for this kind of RGS remote workflow that the PCS, PC systems seem to work better than that? Yeah, they're much more, much more stable. Um, we basically did that in our LA operation right off the bat and we had been doing a couple of other things. Terry Dici and all these other, and then it's just like this, um, this worked the best, but it is PC, so. Yeah, and I'll second that too. I mean, it just, it also just gives you more flexibility on like being able to really customize your rigs, you know, um, um, and, and, you know, if you're gonna VPN in, you know, you can just kind of like remote login from your, your, um, yeah, from your Mac, but you just gotta remember that you're functioning on a PC, so. Um, yeah, so it is adaptability for sure, for sure. But PCs have been proven to be the best and most stable from our experience as well. Thank you. Terrific, terrific. And I will, uh, I will get into our last question here, but first I will do a little promo about next week's post break. Will be titled Moving Up, How to Get Promoted in Post-Production. So we talk a lot about entry level positions. This will be kind of once you had your first couple of jobs, how do you continue moving up in the industry? And then we'll, we'll talk about this question I'm about to ask and then we'll get teleported into our networking rooms. So this is a long question. Um, in recent weeks, there's been new reporting that interior spaces need to be more careful about aerosols that hang in the air as opposed to just droplets that drop to the floor. But now we know these aerosols hang in the air could be longer than eight hours and they can travel beyond six feet and still transmit, transmit COVID. I would like to see facilities make blanket rules that everyone needs to wear a mask all the time, regardless of whether they are they in private rooms or common areas. Um, we know actors have to remove their masks for looping, but outside of that, as an editor or mixer, people have reservations about returning to a, a facility that might have loose mask wearing policies. So given all of that, given this new info about aerosols, um, is there a 100% mask wearing policy or do people take them off at lunch or where does the rubber hit the road on, on all of these variables? I think for us, um, essentially, if you're out in common spaces, if you're anywhere in the facility that you're going to have contact or be around someone, mask on, no exception. When, like, I'm in a room by myself, I'm the only person coming in this room, I'm on my own air conditioning line, um, I'm not going to have my mask on because I just 
we don't feel, and our doctors that we consult don't feel like it's um, a mandatory thing. Again, we have 30,000 square feet. So when you do the math, that's like 3,000. It's like a home, a nice home for each person to live in. So, it, you know, and we like, we have tons of air conditioning lines. We have tons of bathrooms. So people can kind of live in their own little world and not, um, not be around everyone. Will that change once everybody starts coming back and we're at 50% occupancy or 70%, 75%, yes. And I think we're just gonna have to adjust. But I assume when people are coming back at that level, we've turned a corner um, and people are not as concerned and maybe we're not wearing masks anymore. And right now it's up to the client if they wanna come in and it's up to the employee if they wanna come in. No one is forced to come in. If someone's like, don't feel comfortable, I don't wanna get in the subway, I don't wanna walk down the block, I don't wanna sit in a building with anybody else, then they can 100% opt out and, uh, and not come in. So I think that's kind of where our policy is now, just as we have an abundance of space for such a small footprint of people. And I just, I'll just chime in too. Um, for, for us, um, we pretty much every one of our, we have more windowed rooms that you can easily open um, in our spaces, in both of our spaces, um, because most of our spaces, um, you know, are the edit rooms. So we will be really utilizing those rooms. Um, and we're not doing any more, you know, the, the kitchen is pretty much closed and there's no client services happening, things like that. There's no food. Um, we're having people, if they order, they have to go downstairs actually in the building and, and meet them in the lobby, um, bring their food up and it would go right into their room with them. Um, and if they want to take, they would be in their own room. Um, and then that, that room also has, you know, every room has a window basically. So we feel good that we have all of these windows that we can open to kind of like get that air moving. So it's not so on an AC system, but, um, but again, like we're not also just, we're mostly remote. We don't, I don't foresee like a lot of people coming into our space and we're going to really um, keep that, you know, strict policy, especially as we go into fall and see how this virus continues to change and, and we learn more about it. Yeah. Oh, here at Soundcheck, sort of like at Sim, if you're in a common space or if I leave my office, I put my mask on. If I'm worried about coming into contact with anybody, I wear my mask. I'm in my office right now with my door closed, so I don't have it on. But um, if I go into one of the studios to talk to the mixer, my mask goes on, his mask goes on. So that's, that's kind of our policy right now. I just want to add to that aerosol story. Um, we actually had an aerosol uh, air freshener before COVID and we actually got rid of it <laughs> uh, because uh, we had a, an artist complain about it. So that was taken out. So we don't have that kind of droplet situation. But nevertheless, the one session we did have in which um, Damien was our guinea pig, who graded this feature film, masks on at all times. No um, client services does not exist. You have to go outside, order your food, explain it to the client, minimal client attend. We only had two people in the room you know, and they, they fully understood and, and was super, you know, thankful just to be having the session and, 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 and accommodating and understanding. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think back to the first part, um, kind of what Rochelle was saying, uh, people are eating in their rooms. Like there is no eating in a common space. There's no hanging out in a common space. It's just like you go in your room, you shut the door and you spend your day, you put your mask on, you go to the bathroom, you come back, you know, and then you leave for the day. And that's pretty much all anybody's doing, but there's definitely not any hanging out and no, and if they're going to eat, they come down, they get their food from the person and then uh, have it in their room. Fun times. Yeah. <laughs> Fun it's time. pretty glamorous. We're going to end it Zoom on. lunches, everybody. Zoom lunches. Yeah. <laughs> Russ, thank you so much for moderating and panelists. Thank you for having for me. Sharing your information and perspectives.